Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words that we have just heard, the words that we have spoken, the words we've prayed, for the word that's about to be preached. We thank you, God, that it's your holy word that we trust in. The Spirit has illuminated our hearts and minds and will, even this day, enable us to see the truth that is before us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cause that which is familiar to be brand new, that which we feel like perhaps we've already dealt with, to be an invitation into another deeper, richer conversation with you, that we would sense the ways in which you want to transform us as individuals who are part of a much larger body, the body of Christ. And as we prepare to come to the table, that you will fix our eyes upon the glory of our Redeemer, our Savior, our friend, our King, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in the middle of this series on what it means to be stewards of God's grace. I'll be preaching from 1 Timothy again, the second part of it, and then from Proverbs as well this morning. 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And from the book of Proverbs chapter three, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, please be seated. This morning you witnessed our latest members taking the five vows that every member in this church and any church that's part of the Presbyterian Church in America has taken. It's always a wonderful thing to witness and then to be remember our own vows. The fourth vow has a lot to do with where we are in this sermon series. The fourth vow we make is that we promise, it's a promise, it's a vow, to support the church in its worship and work to the best of our ability. Each Wednesday, J. Marty sends me the rough draft of this. We meet on Tuesday. He knows where I'm heading with the sermon. He uses the gifts God's given him along with his team. He symbols this and I see it. Oftentimes events in the world happen after this has already gone to print, such as the case this past week. And sometimes I pause and wonder, Lord, do you want me to continue in the direction of this series or this sermon? And I asked that question and really sensed how appropriate it is for us to think about the worship and work of the church 
in a season like this. You see, God owns everything, not some of what we've been given. He owns all of it, every penny, every hour, every relationship, every gift. And that's a good thing because he who's in control, sovereign, the giver of these gifts, all of them, is the only one who can reveal to us how we should use them. And he longs for us to use them to bring him glory. Sometimes though, when we give in acts of worship or give generously to other missions and charities, we don't really know what's happening. And that certainly can happen in a church. When you make a vow to support the church in its worship and work, to the best of your ability, you're not just talking about a tithe. You're talking about asking God, how do you want me as an individual part of your larger body to be a good steward of all that you've given me? And why does it matter? Last week, I brought out the tensions that exist in the first few verses in 1 Timothy 6. So if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to it because you will have missed a lot. There's a tension here that Paul is teaching Timothy and then the church. There's a tension between seeking treasures in heaven and treasures on earth. There is a tension between being content and then surrendering to cravings. And there is a tension between the uncertainty of riches and the certainty of God, not even God's blessings, as I said last week, but the certainty of God himself. And this morning I wanna look at the last part of Second, or, um, 1 Timothy 6, verses 18 and 19. But before I do, I wanna share something with you. When we saw what we saw on the TV this week, you know, our hearts begin to break. For some, it was their first exposure to what a lot of us lived with at an earlier time in our world's history. One of our elders, Jerry Gibson, who for many years faithfully served as our director of world missions, sent an email to me and our elders on Thursday. And he reminds us of what God has done faithfully through this church, this one small expression of his church, even in the country of Ukraine and in the country of Russia. He wrote to us, Dear brothers and sisters, thank you for the ways in which you've continued to be faithful in supporting the church all over the world. I don't assume you will remember or even have heard this, and this is true of a church our size. PCPC planted a church in Kiev, Ukraine that is still going strong. This church started in 1991. May of 1991, that's why we're celebrating in the middle of our 30th year, almost at the end of that, almost 31 years. It matters. I got married the same weekend this church started. I wasn't thinking of any of you. But it's easy to remember the age of the church and the age of my marriage. But Ukraine became an independent nation that same year, in August of 1991, and then later in December, they declared their independence. Early in the 90s, God used the tithes and offerings of this church as people were faithful to the promise they made to support the church in its worship and work to the best of their ability to plant churches all over the world, including Ukraine. This church was first called Salominsky Presbyterian Church, named for the neighborhood where it was located. 
It then changed its name to the name it has now, Big City Church. They have their own session, which means their elders. They have grown as a vibrant young congregation, primarily through conversion. That means coming to faith in Jesus, not just switching a church because you liked one part of it better than another. People came to saving faith. They now have many young covenant families, young adults who are hearing the good news of the gospel. The church has been so strong that we as a church haven't needed to help them financially since 2009. There are a few places we know well around the world and where we know a lot of people, and Ukraine is one of them. That's why later today at two o'clock, if you missed the announcement, there will be a Zoom prayer time. If you wanna try to get on that call, you can text 66866, Text Ukraine to that number. Again, 66866. To register, you need to do that by 115. Don't be frustrated if you can't get on. Just pray. Pray, pray. And again, the sanctuary will be open this Wednesday from 8 to 5. In many ways, PCPC's faithful understanding of what God's called us to do is born out of his faithfulness to us. It always is. But as the elders of this church listened for the way the Lord was leading, our very first missionary was sent to Russia. Soon after, our first mission trip to Russia, and then soon after, the work began to plant these churches in Ukraine. Today, we hear from them and have over the last few days ways in which we could be praying for them. I'm gonna give you a few. These come specifically from the missionaries on the field. Pray for divine protection as people literally free run free to outrun troops entering Ukraine. Churches continue to mobilize and make sure people have rides and gas to evacuate. Pray for divine intervention as people struggle to get to safety in the midst of gas rationing. Pray for divine provision as families are not allowed to take more than $80 from their bank accounts. How long is it gonna last? Pray for divine strength for those who are working throughout the day and night to prepare for refugees. The church that we're very closely connected to in Lviv with Doug and Masha Shepherd, will be with them today on the Zoom call, are receiving, and they know they'll receive hundreds of thousands of people into that city. You can give to this cause through MTW. Just go to mtw.org, you'll see a place where you can give and that will go to help this humanitarian crisis that is gonna be in existence a long time. It will go directly to those missionaries and those that are also in Romania and Poland and other places that we support. Be generous. Pray for divine wisdom as church leaders wake up to realize the freedom to practice their faith has now changed in unknown ways. But even this morning, I was in touch with a pastor who said, I'm preparing to preach in Kiev. If the building is there, I will go to the building and preach the word of God. The courage that we see is a great blessing in the midst of this profound evil. Pray specifically for our missionaries, Doug and Masha Shepherd, as they organize the efforts to receive refugees and lead their young churches, more than one, in that city to face this crisis. Pray for Bob Burnham, MTW missionary, who's leading people out of Kiev and Lviv even as they speak. 
ultimately pray for the gospel to be demonstrated in the midst of this evil because the mission hasn't changed. The mission to hold Jesus Christ out to a world lost in sin has not changed. One missionary said, we need Bibles. We need more Bibles. Give so more Bibles can be sent. He said the people have always, one way or another, kind of honored the Bible as a document, but now they're desperate for the hope that it provides because it's the living word of God. So friends, pray, give generously, which relates to the text that we're in this morning. Over 135 churches have been planted by PCPC. That's God's grace. Hundreds more are going to be planted because we're gonna keep planting until Jesus Christ returns. Some in this city, some in other parts of this country, and other parts of the world. And when, when you give as a good steward of what God has called you to give, you have no idea what might happen. Churches could be planted today that will be in a similar need in three decades, and they'll be a deeply rooted community where people can find the hope of the gospel. God calls us to give, specifically in the text that he gives us. He speaks about us being, look at verse 18, that we would be good, do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. What a remarkable statement. When Paul calls Timothy, and he tells him what it means to be a follower of Christ and a leader of God's people, he shows them the reality of what riches can do. And we understand that, we can see it, it's very clear. But he also says in verse 18 that we are to do good, not to inherit our salvation. That's not what it's about. That's works righteousness, that's Pharisaism. We do not earn our way to heaven. You will never be good enough. You'll never do enough good to have an account that God suddenly says, see, I told you, he's really good. Never will happen. But we're to be rich in good works as a result of the God who has been so rich to us. How rich? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? It's from that provision that we then seek to be good stewards of what he's given us. Not just 10%, all of it. It's not just to check a box to make yourself not feel guilty. It's all his. So it's a continual journey with the Lord. Lord, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use the money you've given me? How do you want to use the time you've given me, the relationships you've given me, the wisdom you've given me, now for the rest of your life? And that is a privilege because only God can truly reveal to you what he wants. And he wants all of us. Preaching this series has been a rich joy personally and as a pastor. Each Sunday I've had remarkable conversations Three weeks ago, a man, I would say, he's in his early 40s, met me outside, tears in his eyes, and he said, I am not that man. I am not that man. I am selfish. I'm selfish with every part of my life. I'm selfish emotionally. I'm selfish in pleasure. I'm selfish with our finances. And I said, then why are you talking to me? And he said, because I don't want to be that man anymore. And I said, you don't have to be. 
This is God's grace in your life right now. You see, some of you, by God's grace, by God's faithfulness in maturing you, have gotten to a place where you are living faithfully as a good steward of all he's given you. Others of you, it's okay, that stuff happens. Over here, I'm right here. That's more important, this is more important. All have been called to the same thing though. And if we don't know what it means to truly be obedient, then there are times in our life when we just won't do what God's called us to do. And we'll figure out a way to justify it or we'll just ignore it. God wants us to experience the freedom, the freedom of that union with Christ and live as the stewards that he's called us to be. Some of you need deeply to change the priorities of your life. Just like I always must ask the Lord, where do I need to change? I want you to know, some of you have it right theologically, and you're even giving in obedience rightly. Others of you have not done that. That's true of the church across the world. The amount of money people give statistically is not anywhere close to what scripture would encourage us to give, instruct us to give. Why? Well, it's because the enticement of riches promises security. It promises pleasure. All those things really have an impact on us. And none of them in themselves are evil. Money's not evil. It's the love of money in this text that's evil. It's the certainty you would place in riches which are not certain. It's treasures on earth versus eternal treasures. So it's enticing. The Lord wants to set us free to trust in him. And then from that trust, give him all of ourselves. How do you want to use us? And that blessing is a reality. Along with this man who spoke with me just a few weeks ago, I told him, we'll help you. And you're gonna feel grace. Some of you need somebody else probably to help you. You need somebody else perhaps to look with you at your numbers, look at your practice. And you know what you're gonna receive if they're a brother or sister in Christ? Grace. Many times, especially early in my marriage, I had to get help because I wasn't doing things in a godly way. Every time God brought me to the end of myself and I asked for help, I received grace. Some of you may feel like you're so far away from what it means to be faithful to God that you could never receive grace. That's not what you hear preached here, I know. We preach mercy. His mercy is more. If your finances are a wreck, if your debt's out of control, if you got overwhelmed by something that you didn't expect, ask us to help you. We would love to help you. I don't know what that help will look like, but I know you'll receive grace because God intends for his people to be the people he's called us to be. And that includes experiencing his grace in the richest of ways. Two other accounts happened in the last couple of weeks. Last Sunday specifically after the sermon, after this service, this sermon, the last sermon of the day for me, three children came running through those doors and they had a handful of coins and dollar bills. And they had it in bags. And they walked right here and they just handed it out to me. And I'm like, I'm not supposed to touch money. <laughs> you know, that's not supposed to come to me. But where do I go? Who do I give it to? I just said, watch me. It's going right here. And I left it. And I said, somebody's going to come and get it. One of our deacons and take care of it. 
I have no idea how much was in there. I don't know. But I guarantee you it was enough to buy one Bible, one Bible that a person in Ukraine could read that could then be the tool that God uses to save them or feed their soul. But the richest blessing is that someone's teaching these children that what they did matters. After last week's sermon at 9.30, a woman came up to me right here and said, do you remember when Skip used to say to us, it's not what you have, it's what has you. It's not so much what you have, but what has you. So today, friends, what has you? What is tempting you to say, I'm what you really want. I'm what you really need. Spend it on this. Build this empire. What are you tempted to surrender to? What wants you? It's not so much what you have, but what has you. And I'm gonna be honest, you cannot answer that question alone. You need the Holy Spirit's help, and he can do it. He has the power and he's omniscient, all-knowing, to tell you this is gripping you or this is tempting you to be gripped by it. There's another question, though. It's not just what we have, but who has you that's important. It's talking about the identity. In the text, look with me at verse 19. It says, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation, for the future, he's speaking of the good foundation of the good works. Then Paul says, so that they, he's speaking of believers, may take hold of that which is truly life. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What is he talking about? Not just the blessings of God. The word of God in Proverbs says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will be bursting with wine. But that's not what he's talking about as the benefit. The benefit is that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And that is the person of Christ. It's God himself. So it's not just what you have or what has you. As a believer, it's ultimately who has you. And if you really understand, if we really understand who we are in Christ already, that must be enough. Because he is the one thing that's secure. And from that identity, we seek then to do good works, to be generous, to be ready to share. Right now, we're preaching this series in a time where our budget actually in giving has been very strong. December was the largest amount of giving ever in the history of this church. It's pretty amazing. We're not coming to you with this because we're worried about the budget. We're coming because we're worried about the things that might be gripping you. Because of the things that might be saying, I am of greater value than he. And friends, that's not the gospel. Who has you? From that posture of being in the grip of the living God, 
we then have the privilege of saying to him, how do you want to use me? How do you want me to give? How do you want me to use my time, my talents, my relationships, my influence, my wisdom? How? All over the world and all the time. When we do that, the extension of God's transforming presence moves from this little place and wherever he's placed you all over the world to even now when a crisis is right in front of us and the chance to help extend the kingdom of God is very, very ripe. What does God's word say? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now, now, who has you? Father, as we come to a moment when we're about to head to the table, we're so thankful that you have already given us everything that we need. We're so thankful that when we fall short of doing good works or we fall short of being ready to share and we confess that to you, your grace is sufficient. Your mercies are more. You are amazing in the way in which you provide for us even the means of grace, the preached word, the sacraments which we're participating in today, prayer. So Lord, I pray that this morning as we prepare to come to the table, that we would not, not forget, even for a moment, the cost of you and your son and the spirit in redeeming us. Our Lord and Savior's death on the cross, his resurrection, his reign, his promised return. In Jesus' name, amen.